So this week, um, I built a, a small deck, a six, it was, I think, a six by 10 or so. Um, it was uh, something I enjoyed working on. It, uh, it required that I plan for it, and I think about uh, where it was going to go and how big it was going to be and uh, what size lumber I was going to use to construct it. I had to go to the store, I had to purchase the lumber, I had to bring it back, required cutting and nailing, and uh, Sarah always reminds me, measure twice, cut once. Uh, and I did that on all but one board, so that was, you know, pretty successful, pretty successful day for me. Um, so, remind me of this though, Genesis 1.31, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 this morning, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And uh, some of you are builders by trade, I know uh, Gary and Krista and uh, Noah and Kristen were at Builders for Christ in Kentucky this week. They were uh, helping to build a church. Uh, and we've got some other builders in the, in the congregation that do, that do fine work. But I, probably everyone can relate to uh, working on a project. And maybe you're building something. Maybe you are uh, creating a, a delicious meal. Maybe you're putting together a puzzle. Maybe you're just trying to get the house cleaned. And uh, you, you sit back and you look at what you've done and there's just this level of satisfaction. Boy, that looks good. Or maybe in my case, sometimes you're like, well, that's good enough. <laughs> that, that'll do. Well, today we're going to look at the uh, creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And uh, we talked about this last week some, but scripture clearly identifies God as the creator of the world. Like, they're, they're, we cannot read this passage of Scripture uh, and come to another conclusion. And last week we talked about some God's eternal nature, uh, how He spoke the world into existence, that He looked at what He created, He said that it was very good, and then finally concluded, uh, sorry, He said that it was good uh, each day, and then finally He said on the last day that it was very good. Um, and we talked just briefly that... Um, as the creator, God didn't just create randomly, he created with intention and he created on purpose, uh, for purpose. So he, it's God who determines the function and the, the, the right way to do things. And so um, we're going to look at, at, at more so, last week we were really talking about who God uh, is and who God was as the creator, and, and today we're going to look a little bit more just about the, the process of creation in itself. Now, I've got to just come out and say I'm not, um, I'm not a scientist, okay? So we're not going to focus on the science this morning. We're going to focus on what God's Word says uh, about creation, although we will mention some of the science because it is relevant uh, for us today, particularly as we come and go and have conversations with people who would uh, probably disagree with what I'm going to present from the scripture this morning. Um, and so I also want to just say I know, I understand that um, across our country and even, even here in Union County, the majority of, of science teachers uh, will teach evolution to your kids and to your grandkids, not as a theory, but as scientific fact. That, that's where we are now. It's not taught as a theory anymore. I, was, I, I spoke with one of our high school teachers this week, and they said there, there are a few, um, maybe 
20 or 25 percent of our uh, teachers in middle school and high school Union County will uh, teach evolution. Evolution is required to be taught, so that maybe 20 or 25 percent will say this is a theory. The rest, even in Union County, which we're in a very conserved area, will teach evolution as fact. And so uh, we're going to look at Scripture and just see what Scripture uh, says about it. But um, we have to do this. As people of faith, we have to hold to the uh, teachings of Scripture as being true. If we, can't, uh, if we can't take what Scripture says about creation as true, then why would we consider what God says about uh, the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea as being true? Why would we consider the fact that David defeated Goliath as true? Why would we uh, believe the, the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000? Or even why would we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? We, we, if we're going to pick and choose, then which, who, de, who determines what we'll pick and choose uh, is true. So um, we're going to talk about it this morning. And as I was preparing for this, um, I was re- reminded of uh, when, when I was a youth pastor, one of the things we tried to do during the month of February was talk about relationships with the kids. And one of the things that Sarah and I, and I observed the first couple times, the first couple years we did this, was that by the last two, the last uh, a couple of weeks of the month, a lot of the kids, particularly the ones who drove themselves to Wednesday night, they stopped coming. So they would come to the first couple weeks on relationships, and then the last couple, they, they wouldn't come anymore. And so we were discussing um, um, between ourselves, and we discussed with some of the other small group leaders, um, it's so good to have, I'm gonna pull Pastor Jerry. Robin and Woody are with us this morning. Many, many prayers have gone up for you guys. It's so good to, to see you guys with us this morning. Yeah, our, our God, our God uh, takes us through every situation. Amen. Um, so we were discussing, okay, how are we going to handle this? Because we believe these are important. It's important to know what God says about relationships, especially for our high school students. How are we going to handle this? And one of the small group leaders, um, Abby Rice, she said to me something along these lines, you have to talk about relationships and you have to tell the kids what God says about it because every day through the media and through their friends and through Uh, Just living life, they are hearing a lie about relationships. And so we have to tell them what God's word says. So I would argue this morning that uh, maybe what I say, you're not going to agree with me. I would definitely know that the majority of of our country will disagree with what I'm going to teach this morning. But it is important that we talk about it. So, um, Bob Deffenbaugh He says this, there are only two viable options as to where Genesis 1, verse 1, God created in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and really the rest of the Bible came from. Either it was a product of a human author's imagination, or it is divinely revealed truth. If it is the former, just human imagination, then we should value it only as a work of antiquity on the same level as other ancient texts. If it's the latter, divinely revealed truth, we must come on bended knee, willing to hear and obey, as it is an authoritative word from God. And so this morning we're going to look at it as the latter, 
divinely revealed truth. So let's, let's just read the first five verses of Genesis chapter one together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So these first five verses describe the first day of creation. Um, verse two, I would say, would be, was best understood as sort of a parenthetical statement. God created the heavens and the earth, and in verse three, he starts to explain how he did it. But in verse two, he says, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. The earth was empty. Uh, it, was, it was formed, but God needed to fill it with his creative work. And so, verse, starting in verse two through the end of the chapter, uh, God's creative work is described. And, and just to, we, we uh, referenced several other verses about God as creator last week, and so just a couple more for you this week. Jeremiah 32, verse 17, so these are other uh, authors in the scripture writing about God as creator. It says, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Why didn't we sing about that this morning? Nothing is too hard for our God. Revelations 4.11, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So this is our first observation. The Bible teaches that God created the world. So a belief that our universe came into existence or our earth came into existence, our world, uh, by some accident or by chance or by a, uh, a big bang or uh, uh, millions and billions of, of years of, of random mutations and, and chance interactions of enzymes and molecules um, resulting in the, the beautiful, complex, sophisticated, uh, precise world we live in today came out of this mess of nothing. That's incompatible with God's word. I, I, I don't know how, I, there's nothing else I could say about that. I'm, like I said, I'm not a scientist. What does God's word say? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as we go through it, we, if we read through the first chapter, you see he did it in an orderly way. He spoke it, and we, we kind of went through that last week. He, he spoke, and it came into being. So on the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, it came, it, and it came into being. Separation of light and darkness. And the, and the uh, last part of verse five, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now the, the Hebrew day is not like our day. Uh, we would say there was morning and there was evening the first day. They say, the, the text says there was evening, there was morning. So the Hebrew day starts at sunset. Okay, we start at midnight. We go midnight to midnight. They go from sunset to sunset, beginning of the day to the end of the day. So that's why it says there was evening first, then there was morning, it was the first day. 
Now, if we were to uh, look at this closely, the, the literal translation here, though, um, it is not there, there was evening and there was morning the first day. The literal translation would be there was evening and there was morning one day. So, so we, we put in there, English puts in there the first day. Hebrew, it says one day. And, and I'm going to just uh, talk about this for a minute because I do believe that this is uh, important. In our English language, we have the option of, of using what's called, now I didn't know this before I studied, I mean I knew it, but I didn't have the, the terminology, uh, cardinal numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Those are called cardinal numbers. Okay, I learned that this week. Uh, and then there are ordinal numbers. First, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. So cardinal numbers are just the numbers we use every day. They um, identify quantity. Like I have one wife and I have two sons. Okay, cardinal numbers. Ordinal numbers put things in order or prioritize things. Right, so I think the Mets are in first place in the NL East right now, and the Braves are in second place. Right? It, it, it designates order. We wouldn't say the, the Mets are in one place and the uh, Braves are in two places. Right? We would use first and second. So you guys understand this. It's, it's just how we talk. We don't think about it, but we understand that concept. Well, the Hebrew language has the same concept. So why does God in verse five here say there was evening and there was morning one day, and then on the rest of the day say the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and the sixth day? I believe God is wanting us to understand that evening and morning make one day. One, what we know now to be uh, one rotation of the earth is one day. And so he's designating here a literal 24-hour period. So let's look at Genesis 1, verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Uh, so we're, we've, we're jumping ahead to the fourth day. Um, and, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So here's an interesting thing. Let the lights in the expanse of the heavens separate the day from the night. So now we're using this word day differently. The day being the time when the sun's and we see the sun, and the night the time when the, the moon's in the sky. So God's using... Uh, we're, what I'm just pointing out is we use this word day in different ways. It could be a 24-hour period, or we could say we came to church during the day, and we sleep during the night. So now this is identifying a period of light compared to a period of darkness. Two different uses of the same word. Day, 24 hours, day, when it's light outside. Um, but continuing in verse 14... Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Now, when we're talking about days and years, we're talking about a 24-hour period. We're talking about a 365-day period, days and years. So I think we can read the, when we read the text, it becomes clear what, what, how we're supposed to use this term day. Now, in Scripture, day is, is used another way. Um, when we read a lot of times uh, in, in Old Testament prophecy, 
um, we start to hear this term, the day of the Lord. Now, some people would um, uh, translate that as a specific day, future time, specific moment. Uh, Others would say this is going to be a day, a period of time, the day of the Lord. And so there are different ways. So uh, let me uh, just quote to you James Stambaugh. He writes, the context determines which of these is intended by the writer. The use of a number with the word day is very illuminating. This combination occurs 357 times outside of Genesis chapter one. So after Genesis chapter one, 357 times, the word day is used and there is a number associated with it. The combination is used in four different ways, but each time it is used, it must mean 24 hour periods of time. Okay, so Genesis chapter one, again, verse five, there was evening, there was morning, one day. Okay, it's like a grammar lesson. Why are we doing all this? Well, many Christians will believe that, yes, God created the earth, but yes, it is millions of years old, and we, there was, there's, there's different viewpoints. We're just, we'll touch on a couple. Um, and so uh, the question is, Is that what the scripture is saying? We've talked before exegesis versus eisegesis. Are we reading the text and allowing it to inform us how things are, or do we have an idea of how things are, and so when we read the text, we make it work for us? So I believe there are a couple ways that Christians try to make the text work for them. Uh, One would be called the gap theory. Uh, this, would, this proposes that in Genesis chapter 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis 1-2, that there was a, there's a gap in there, an unaccounted for period of time that was either millions or billions of years long. And so in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth that included plant life, that included animal life, and possibly even what they, what they call pre-Adamic or pre-Adam men and women. Uh, and uh, the earth was formless and void. During, um, excuse me. So there was this period of time, and then God judged that world, possibly with an ice age, and wiped it all out. And now, starting in verse two, we are learning about the recreation of the world. Uh, and and again, I'm, I'm, it's not my point of view. I'm 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 trying to 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 uh, do it justice, just in a brief uh, a brief moment. And so. There's a variety of different ways that people believe that that period of time could have happened, um, but it is called uh, the gap theory. So you say to yourself, okay, well, how would you even come up with that? Like where in the text does it even indicate that that's a possibility? And so I'm I'm trying to be fair. Um, Verse two says, the earth was without form and void. Uh, It is possible to translate that sentence, the earth, instead of saying was, the earth became without form and void. That is a possible translation of that Hebrew word. Uh, Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I would just say this, over uh, hundreds of years uh, and hundreds of Hebrew scholars that have studied God's word and come together into teams and, and as individuals and translated God's word from Hebrew into English in a variety, many, many different translations. Uh, To my knowledge, they all say the earth was without 
form and void. None of them trans actually translate it became. It's a possible translation. They look at the text and say, this doesn't really look like it fits there, and so we're going to translate it, the earth was. Um, and so uh, there are several other reasons why someone would believe in a gap theory, um, and, and I don't, we're, we're not going to go into that detail. I don't think the other reasons even probably, in my opinion, have less merit than that one. So um, but that, that, is a, that is a viewpoint uh, that people would believe. Now, there is another um, viewpoint, the day-age theory. And this can go a couple of different ways. Uh, one would be that uh, each day of creation represents an age of time. So each day actually represents an age, millions of years. Or each day was a literal 24-hour day, and there was an age of time between each day, millions of years again. Um, so this, this allows for, the, for the, uh, what scientists would observe as evolution, and um, it's kind of an interesting viewpoint because a, an evolutionist would say there's no room for creation in the evolutionary theory, and a creationist would say there's no room for evolution in God's teaching of creation, and yet uh, some do try to uh, put the two together and say, I believe in God as the creator, I believe he kind of got the ball rolling in some form or fashion within different parameters, there's varying viewpoints, but he kind of got it going and then life evolved uh, from there. Um, so I would just say, um, in, in, in relation to that, I, I don't see that in the text. That's why we spend a, just a few minutes talking about what does it mean, uh, the difference, why did God say there was evening and there was morning one day, uh, instead of saying the first day. So uh, there, there, there's different ways to look at that, but um, I would just say if you have questions about that, uh, if you have an interest in learning more about that, um, the, the flood in Genesis chapter six through nine um, presents a, uh, it, let me say this, a creationist would, can use science and say what we observe in the, in the real physical world can be explained by a worldwide flood which God describes in Genesis chapter six through nine. So again, are we gonna start with, well we see this and how does it fit into the Bible or what does the Bible tell us and uh, based on what the Bible tells us, how do we handle the things that we observe in our world? Okay, so like I said, I'm not a scientist, but I, I, let's, I prefer this morning to stick more to God's word. So uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, says this, For God spoke all these words, and he's about to give the Ten Commandments. And in verse 11, uh, he, he says this, for in six days, remember this is God speaking, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So God's creating a structure for the people of Israel. You're going to work for six days, you're going to keep the seventh day as a holy day, and you're going to do that because I created the world in six days, and then I rested on the seventh day. So the, the Hebrew uh, work week and the, the Hebrew time of worship was based on the fact that God said he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. Exodus chapter 31, um, again, uh, talking about the same day, just says it a little bit differently. Six days work shall be done. 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. God's pretty serious about this six days of work, one day of rest. Why is he serious about that? Therefore, all the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. Why is it important? It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Um, we're not going to look at each, each uh, day this morning, but I think the plain understanding of the text is this. Number one, God created the world. Number two, God did it in six 24-hour periods of time. Six days, as we would call it. Six days. A um, couple other things we do want to look at, though, here. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, go to verse 11 with me. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. So God said, let's make some plants and trees. And there they were. It was so. God spoke, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to its kind, trees bearing fruit in which was their seed, each according to its kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the third day. So again, evening, morning, third day, God spoke. This happened during a 24-hour period of time. Uh, jump down to verse 20 with me. Uh, God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly uh, above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. This is after evening and morning of the fourth day. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. So there was the evening and the morning of the fourth day. Then God said, let's fill the, let's fill the seas with, with animals, all kinds of creatures and, uh, and fish. And then there was the end of the fifth day. So this happened again in a 24-hour period according to the scripture. This seems pretty simple. Who made the animals? Who made the plants? How did he make them? He spoke. Uh, verse 22 again. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So God created them and said, then said to the animals, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Uh, it does not say God made some simple single cells. Blessing them, he said, randomly mutate. Let the strong survive and the weak die off. And we jest a little bit, but is that, is that what the scripture says? God said, God created, God made, God blessed, God saw that it was good. God is the creator of what we observe 
in our world. Uh, Court took a biology class this year uh, at Western Carolina, and he was telling me they talked about the pine trees in, in one class. Now, you guys just go ahead and laugh at me. I've always kind of been fascinated about one thing with trees. How does the sap, or how does moisture from the ground get all the way up to the top? Like, let's talk about some of our trees are 100 feet tall. We think that's a pretty big tree. Um, you go out west, you get, get a lot bigger trees. Um, shouldn't gravity keep the moisture down near the bottom? I mean, I'm just being serious. So, okay, let's say you've got a straw, and you're going to climb up to the top of a tree. Your straw is 100 feet long. And you've just climbed, and you're standing on a branch 100 feet above the air, and you've got your straw, and you're going to try to pull some water up to where you are, 100 feet up. How much effort is that going to take? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not much effort. I think it's going to be a lot of effort. Um, And yet, sap flows from the ground all the way up. And now scientists... Uh, biologists, physicists have studied this and have concluded uh, that there is some extreme precision. And they don't even really understand it completely that allows this to happen. Just random chance that a tree could do that? So here's something else. This is, so that's, this, that, that's me. Okay, this is what Court told me. They're in biology class. And they're learning that the pine tree has male pine cones and female pine cones. The male pine cones produce pollen, and the female pine cones receive the pollen. So a pine cone must be pollinated in order for it to be able to reproduce another pine tree. So if it was me, I'd put the male pine cones at the top. So the pollen could fall down and pollinate the female pine cones, and we'd get more trees, right? So the problem is, as Court learned in his class, that successive generations of trees would become weaker, smaller, and more susceptible to disease because of inbreeding. So over millions of years, the pine tree has evolved so that the, fe- the male pine cones are on the lower branches and the female pine cones are on the higher branches. And so that when the, the wind brings the pollen out of the pine cones, which we've all experienced here recently, by the time it gets high enough to pol- pollinate a female pine cone, it is over by another tree. And so there's cross-pollination that happens. Random chance? Or did somebody design this tree this way so that they would be strong and reproduce and continue to grow big pine trees? It's called the argument of intelligent design. We have, there's, there's many scientists who would not believe in the God of the Bible, but they would say, there's somebody out there that was pretty smart or something out there that intelligently designed, and we're talking about a tree. We're not talking about an animal. We're not talking about a human being. How much more complex are we than a tree? 
The argument of intelligent design says something that has elements of design must have had a designer. Um, so let me just, let me just uh, quote, a lot of, we hear, especially your, your, your grandkids or uh, your kids, or we've got some young people here, you're gonna hear in school all about evolution. Let me just share with you some quotes from some evolutionists. Not God-fearing, God-believing people, but people who believe uh, in, in the Big Bang or other forms of evolution. Sir Arthur Keith, he was, uh, he was chosen, uh, Darwin wrote The um, Origin of Species, so 100 years later, uh, they were writing another book on it, and this fellow was asked to, to um, write in the preface. He says, the conclusion I have come to is this, the law of Christ is incompatible with the law of evolution. Nay, the two laws are at war with each other. In another place, he, he's quoted as saying this, evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe it only because the only alternative is special creation, which is unthinkable. James Tremble, he's a physicist, I believe he's still alive. He says this, if I were a religious man, everything we have learned through science in the last 20 years would tell me that we are unique and special in God's eyes. Instead, what I will say is that, while we have, is that what we have learned shows us that it matters a great deal what actually matters to us. I'm not sure what he means by that, but I do know that he doesn't believe in God. But if he did, he would look at creation and he would say, man, God must love us. Um, Richard Lewinton uh, passed away last year, an eminent Harvard biologist. He says this, we take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs. In spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life. In spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just so stories because we have a prior commitment. A commitment to materialism. And by materialism he means uh, this idea that if something exists, it can only exist in the physical world. What we can see and touch and feel and taste, that's, that's it. There is, no, there, are, there is no God, essentially, is what materialism would say. We have a commitment to materialism. It is not that the method and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, we are forced by a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concept, concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute for we cannot allow for a divine foot in the door. Harvard biologists. So even within, the, even within the scientific community, even within those who uh, do not believe in God, you have some saying, look, if I did believe in God, I would conclude that he loves us and we must be very special to him. Uh, we have others that saying, are saying, look, 
Because if, if, if we came to other conclusions, I would have to admit there's a God. I will never come to those conclusions. This, this perhaps for me is, is, is the most um, significant uh, thing in all of this discussion. We'll go back to the scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. If we are to accept that there is a God in heaven who created the world and set things in motion, what will we do with this scripture verse? Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. We're going to talk about sin here in the next couple of weeks. But Adam and Eve in the garden, they took the fruit and they ate it, and a a world that knew no sin now had experienced sin, and the result of that sin, Scripture teaches us, is death. So if there were millions or billions of years prior to Adam where life was evolving and and being created and that mutation didn't work, so that species or that, that, that uh, deviation died off, and this one did, so it grew uh, and, and reproduced and died off, and eventually we got to uh, man, then what does the scripture, what do we do with the scripture that says death came into the world because Adam and Eve sinned? More, more direct, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22 says this, for as by a man came death, this is a compare and contrast, Adam to Jesus, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. As, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If death didn't start with Adam, then why would we believe that life comes from Jesus? Because this verse, then we've got to say, well, this verse isn't true, or this verse, we're going to understand this verse in a little different way. And so, um, at the end of the day, we are considering a matter of faith. God wasn't trying to explain in scientific detail how he did everything at the beginning. Uh, but he did clearly say that he was the creator. I believe the, the, the most straightforward explanation and interpretation of Genesis chapter 1 is that he did it in 24-hour periods, six of them in a row, He rested on the seventh. But it's a matter of faith. Science will not prove or disprove those first days of creation. It will not prove or disprove uh, evolution. It is a matter of faith. Always has been and always will be. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says this, by faith... Not by proof, not by science, but by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was, was not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so a lot of information this morning. I mean, not even scratching the surface of the things that we could talk about in, in relation to these things. I think the important thing is we must in in these conversations, we must start with God's word. What does God's word say? And then how do we understand our world around us based on what God's word says? If we start with our world around us and then go to God's word and say, 
I think this is what our world tells us. Can I, does, does God's word confirm that? Or can I, can I come up with an interpretation that allows me to bring on both? It's the wrong starting point. We start with scripture, and then we go to what we see around us and say, okay, uh, it, it, what, what, does, what is our world telling us? And there are many creation scientists that will have great resources online uh, that will help you with that understanding. What difference does it really make? I think there's a big, there, there, there's a real important thing here that if, if death uh, came into the world before Adam, then what do we do with these verses in Romans and, and 1 Corinthians? And, and we question whether our salvation then is, is really true. Um, but I think there's, there's this. We can take great comfort in knowing that God loves us. I mean, many, many in here this morning have even moved to Blairsville because they just love the beauty of the area. And I think that's the physical beauty of the area. I think it's the beauty of the people of the area too. But they're both going to be God's creation. We take comfort in the fact that God's with us. That he saved us. That he adopted us into his family. That he will see us through every situation like Robin and Woody have experienced here recently. We we take comfort that he has an inheritance for us. that That there is hope for us. That there is a future for us. He said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. David wrote, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, yet there was none of them. God saw each one of us before we were born. He created us in our mother's womb. He cares for us. Can we believe if he, if, if he did that for us, can he not do that for the world? Like if, that, if these passages are true for however many, six, seven billion, eight billion people on the earth. I mean, the earth has just happened to get here, but, but, but boy, he cares about the people who, let, who live on it. No, no, God cares about the, all of it. He created it with purpose. He created it with intention. It's what his word says. It's what we can observe. And boy, if God didn't, if it's not just about me, if it's about the world, doesn't that just make our God that much bigger? I love that, uh, Mildred, I love that, where'd Mildred go? I love that new song that you guys sang this morning. You said it, I believe it, it is done. Can, can, we, can we read Genesis 1-1 and say that this morning? You said it, I believe it. It is done. It might not make you the most popular person in your circles. Uh, you might even experience ridicule for holding to some sort of simplistic, naive view of the beginning of time. The man that brought his son uh, to, to Jesus, asking Jesus to, to heal, he says, if you can, and Jesus says, if I can, and the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you this morning recognizing uh, that in, in some of these matters we believe and we need help with our unbelief. Uh, as humans, we want to explain everything. We want to, we want to know. We want to understand. 
we, can, we, can, we can lack faith sometimes. Uh, well, if you can't explain it to me, then I won't believe it. And yet, at the same time, we sing this morning that we believe in a miracle-working God. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, help us to have confidence in your word. Help us to have uh, confidence in you as a creator of the universe. Just talking about the, the world, the, the earth is such a tiny little speck of all in which you created. And yet as we look into the beauty of your creation, we do see that you love us, that you care about us, that we are special to you. God, I pray that as we uh, come to you this morning, as we come to you this week, we have hurts, uh, we have cares, we have concerns, uh, we have needs and, and we have wants. Lord, I pray that we uh, would come to you believing that you're the creator of the world. And that if you created this world and if you set this world in order, if that you had uh, a, a purpose and intention when you created the world, that you've got um, a plan for us too. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, as, we, as we close this morning, that we would just call on you as our creator. Confident that if, if you are the miracle-working God that we read about in the Bible, and we believe with all of our hearts that you are, you can make a difference in our life today. I just encourage, if you're here this morning, whatever care you have on your heart this morning, as the song said, there is power in the name of God. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. The creator of the world loves you wants to be in a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would turn to you this week for every single need that we have. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.